And I think women, generally speaking, please take this as the biggest compliment under the sun. I think men can overthink. I think women have an innate ability to think as well, if not better and clearer than their male counterpart, because they can get colored by ego or status or whatever it might be. But I firmly believe in the many talented women that I've worked with and surround this business right now, that they've got an intuition that is much, much higher developed than any that men have worked with over the years. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by CBRE. CBRE is the global leader in real estate operations, providing specialized solutions to the world's largest energy, oil and gas companies, supporting their facilities upstream and downstream, both inside and outside the fence. CBRE's experts deliver strategies that optimize operations, reduce costs, risks, and increase productivity without compromising safety. Unlock the power of your energy, oil, and gas portfolio with CBRE. Learn more at www.cbre.com forward slash EOG. Before I introduce this week's guest, I wanted to ask everyone to support the show by taking a few moments. Get into iTunes. Get on Spotify. Leave me a review. I love reading these things on air. Oh, also, if you know anything about me, you know I struggle with focusing due to my ADHD. I have a hint of anxiety, and I'm not medicated. So I started drinking Magic Mind, which is a 12-ounce little shot of all-natural ingredients, which just has really changed my life. I take it before my morning coffee, and I'm good for the day. I don't need any more coffee after that. And it's really improved my productivity overall. Even my boyfriend has noticed in my focus. I'm not as stressed with the coffee jitters. So if you want to give Magic Mind a shot, go to magicmind.co forward slash oil and gas industry and use code oil gas 20 for 20% off your order. All right. Well, let's get into this week's guest. I'm sitting here this afternoon with Ian Ort, owner and director of business development of Fifth Ring. Hi, Ian. Hi, Paige. How are you today? Good, good. How's Aberdeen? Um, Right now it's dark and it's cold. Oh, well, that's kind of similar to Texas. Very windy today. I think maybe 60 mile an hour winds today. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Doesn't make you want to go outside. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I'm glad to be warm and inside and talking to you and your oh, audience, of course. Yeah, perfect, perfect. So let's talk about how you got started in the industry. Oh, my goodness. Very brief version. I was reasonably numerate at school. It was an obvious career path that took me to opportunities that might reward my numeracy. I started to study accounting. I I think was pretty good at it. Certainly, I got plenty of job offers from what was then the big auditing firms and things. And then I never really loved it and decided that that probably wasn't my future and I needed to look at something else. I was fortunate enough to get, I guess, a graduate trainee position with a major publisher. They were extraordinarily generous to me. They offered me opportunity to work around the business. I loved 
the advertising part of it. They, they obviously carried ads in the publications. I loved the creative process, although I don't claim to be particularly creative myself. I loved the science of placement and the planning of it. And I thought, I think I could do something with this. And I was fortunate enough to get picked up by an ad agency, a still a relatively young man, effectively to carry the briefcase of the CEO and learn my trade from the bottom up, literally at the cold face. It was a spectacular series of unusual events. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah, I'm not much of a fan of accounting either. <laughs> not really my thing. But I'm more of the creative side, so I understand. Well, well done you. Thank you. you know, it's so funny, Paige, that I always say to people, you get into a business because you love it. And I've talked to many of my friends who are in the golf industry. And the more they get into the business, the further they get away from the golf course. Mm -hmm. And the bigger this business has become, the more I get away from the opportunity to work with clients. And bizarrely, I'm back looking at numbers. <laughs> <laughs> so I've come full circle and achieved very little, Paige. <laughs> That's fair. So you say you were carrying the briefcase for the CEO. Let's get a little further into that. What made you want to start your own company? Oh, my goodness. That's a great story. I was very fortunate to ascend rapidly through the ranks of the agency scene. Mm -hmm. And I guess certainly back then it was a young man's business, a young person's business, I should say. And I accelerated to the ranks. They stupidly and naively made me a board director and I was still in my 20s. I mean, how and is that story made up or what? I don't know. <laughs> but there was something quite frustrating about the way the agency scene operated then, that there were siloed design houses, brand houses, public relations or media relations houses, advertising agencies. I guess I was struck by the naivety of the proposition and often the naivety of the clients that they came to an ad agency and they were always going to get an ad campaign. They went to the PR company with the same problem. They were going to get a PR campaign. It was almost like going into the Mercedes showroom and expecting to leave with a BMW. It was just never going to happen. Right. And I felt, along with a couple of like-minded individuals, that there was a better model. How could you build an agency that was discipline agnostic? Could you build an agency and staff it with subject matter experts and offer a client a much more objective view of their challenge or problem, and therefore bring a series of different communication tools to play. And breaking the mold was pretty hard back then, but nowadays that's the mainstream of the agency or marketing scene. So maybe we were in the vanguard of that, or maybe it was a model that was always going to happen, but we like to think that we broke a bit of a mold and it stood us in good stead for the last 30 years or so. Wow, 30 years. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> I hope you haven't gotten tired of it. <laughs> you know what? It's so interesting. That's a great question, Paige. And I'll tell you why it's a great question. One of our board members asked me maybe five years ago, what's your life plan? And I said, when I stop enjoying it, I just won't come in. And he said, is that a threat? And I said, oh. <laughs> I think he thought that if you upset me, I'll leave. And that's, God almighty, I'm thicker skinned than that. Paige, at one point we were going to call our company Rhinoceros because we're <laughs> thick skinned and charge a lot. I like that. <laughs> and you charge a lot. 
Oh, that's good. That's good. I said, no, it's nothing about a dynamic. We can always disagree and we probably will at times disagree. But if you stop enjoying the challenge of working with colleagues and clients, then it's probably time to stop. Yeah, that's fair. A very dear friend of mine, Paige, Uh he was in the golf business and he, given that you'll get a lot of coverage in Houston, he was a fabulous man, a fabulous, fabulous man. And he was the director of golf at River Oaks Country Club in Houston in Texas. And his name was Dick Harmon. And I carry a, a picture of Dick on the wall of my office to this day. I loved that man. I respected him beyond measure. And he one day decided he was going to quit River Oaks. And of course, it's an incredible facility and an incredible golf course and uh-huh. all the rest of it. And I said, Dickie, why? Why would you ever think of leaving here? He said, listen. When Mother Teresa walks through the door and you want to kill her as well, you know it's time to go. <laughs> but I think he was trying to teach me another life lesson and he taught me many a page. And that was when you stop enjoying it, quit. Yeah, I couldn't disagree. <laughs> I just couldn't. <laughs> so I have your permission page. That's all good. Yes, yes, you absolutely have my permission. <laughs> that might upset some others. Sorry in advance, y'all. Uh, <laughs> I'll let the 50 odd staff that we have know that Paige says it's okay <laughs> they might kill me they're going to have my head <laughs> oh Paige too good okay so I did a little searching on your website fifth ring actually means something yes it does oh my goodness crikey you're good <laughs> fifth ring it comes from a book and the book is called A Book of Five Rings and it's written by an eminent samurai, a guy called Miyamoto Musashi. I was given a copy of the book by a Japanese chap, as it happens. But the book is really quite difficult to read. It's a very thought-provoking book. And it's split into five books, ground or earth, wind, water, fire, and the fifth book, The Void. Hmm. Difficult book to read. And it's actually about combat strategy. Miyamoto Musashi was a very, very strange fellow. He killed his first man in combat at 15 or 16. Oh, my. He then went on to defeat another 20 or 30 or more in combat. He became so good at what he did, he would fight with a wooden sword against a metal sword. Wow. So you might imagine he was revered for his combat strategy, and that's what the book is all about whether you're deploying an army or deploying yourself in one-on-one combat. But somebody really clever and one of your fellow Americans translated the book to a book of business strategy. And that was quite interesting. And I gave the book to a colleague of mine. Uh And when we were looking for a, a name for the company, it was he who said, why not Fifth Ring? And the book meant something to me in the original Japanese version. And it meant something to a much wider audience in the modern business parlance, and hence the name is born. There you go. Very good. Very good. I like that. That's really deep. Some people are just like, ah, it's my name. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, well, that's boring. I'd like to hear little stories like this. It's amazing. And each of the books have meaning as well. The, The ground book is how you should practice your craft. You should learn your craft. You should study your craft. And only when you have that requisite number of hours, if you like, of basic study of the fundamentals of your craft, do you get to break with the rules and start to play with it a little bit. And the void, or kara in Japanese, is empty. 
that you should approach challenges or problems with no preconception. You should approach them afresh. And it does have distinct meaning. And it's something that various colleagues in the business rekindle every so often their interest in the book and their interest in the philosophy as well. So you can read Japanese? Mm, Bits of it. Okay. Not fluently, no. Nor can I speak it particularly fluently. (laughs) But it's a culture that I've studied perhaps for 20-odd years or more and always fascinates me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anything that's not Latin-based, I just cannot do. (laughs) (laughs) Call me small-minded, but it's just not my niche. (laughs) All right. Well, what does Fifth Ring do exactly? Mm. We describe ourselves as a marketing communications company. Okay. We address complex business problems as they relate to marketing and communication. And these can be many and varied. Over the years, we've created two big, big buckets. Mm -hmm. We're either in the business of building, creating, or transforming brands. So reputations, perceptions, positioning, messaging, all the fundamentals of how a brand goes to market, including the look and feel. And then somewhat colloquially, the second side of the business that challenges many is how to sell more product or sell more stuff, as we say colloquially here in the dark, cold, and windy northeast of Scotland. Clients are always looking to their market share, always looking to their market penetration, always looking at the cost of acquisition of business, always looking at the churn of business. And with modern marketing techniques where the internet has become our distinct friend and repository of rich information, we can direct marketing efforts far more effectively now than we ever could. I say to people, Paige, that when I got into this industry, my job in advertising was to make people aware of you. Now, the way that the people search for information, assimilate information, gather competitor insights and things of that nature, our job as marketeers moves through awareness to interest to consideration because people do all of their research more and more and more online and come to a conversation with a supplier company with a preconceived idea may even be a propensity to purchase one or the other. Mm -hmm. And they're only coming to the individual then for the finessing of the deal, supply, negotiation, price, discount, whatever it might be. So we are far more involved in the sales and marketing segue now than we ever were before, because we can nurture, provide information, school and feed that, that appetite for research to the point that we can qualify people with a propensity to buy that's going to make the salespeople much more effective in what they do. So, yeah, brands and sales, that's pretty much the two big buckets that we're in. Yeah, and then the sales thing is pretty important because there's some really crappy salespeople out there, let me tell you. <laughs> and a lot of them are in my DMs on LinkedIn, and I just ignore them. you know what you need to talk to some of these financial advisors that won't leave me alone oh my goodness it's such a blunt instrument isn't it Mm -hmm. yes they make the direct approach to you but give you nothing give you no insight no reason to talk to them beyond anyone else just that hey i saw you were on linkedin yeah yeah you have a job so you make money so you have finances but you probably can't handle those yourself you should let me look at them (laughs) and i'm like "Mm, block I admire that cold call, that energy to do it, that resilience to do it. 
but the attrition rate of it is so high. Yes, yes. It's become a cesspool, really has. I said to you earlier on about my dearest friend, sadly passed away, Dick Harmon. He had an expression, even a blind squirrel eventually finds a nut. <laughs> that's good. So that's maybe the mantra of those people that you're meeting. Probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so let's get into leadership. What is leadership to you, Ian? There have been books and books and books and books written about that. But I can't ever get far away from fundamentals, which are values, things like integrity, things like trust. If you don't have that two components, and I know there are huge stories where people have been hoodwinked and taken into particularly spectacularly bad situations Mm -hmm. in businesses, some of which have happened in Houston and others of which have happened in California and all the rest of it. And people have just been con artists. But I think true leadership has to be around integrity and trust and building relationships, people such that you can coalesce, align, corral them to a common goal. And Mm -hmm. if you can do all of that, yeah, if you're a great communicator, yes, if you're a great visionary. But I think there are fundamentals to it, Paige. And those for me are trust and integrity. Yeah, a lot of smart people get pooed by a lot of smart people. But somewhere in their gut, there's a feeling that I trust this individual. I'm going to go over the top with this individual. I'd go in a trench with this individual. That to me is true leadership. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot because I'm a big proponent for truth and integrity. Oh, but yeah, no, you're right. You have to trust your intuition. You Mm. have to trust your gut. Yeah. And I mean, we're the only mammals that don't do that. Wow. It's incredible how we can convince ourselves to a point of view through an exceptional rational debate with ourselves. We think we're dealing in facts, but we're actually dealing in perceptions. Right. So do you have an example of a difficult experience you had as in a leadership position? Oh, yeah. Trust and integrity are a two-way street, Paige. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, in my time, this is hard. And my goodness, you do an incredible job of asking the searching questions. Thank you. I've been lied to by colleagues, senior colleagues on occasions. And that is the hardest thing to bear as a leader, that you offer trust you offer freedom, you offer latitude for people to operate in. And sometimes those are elaborate Mm. deceits that are extraordinarily expensive. And for the longest time after that happens, you as an individual are changed. You become different. You become... You feel betrayed. Betrayed. Thank you, Paige. Thank you. Yeah. You feel let down. You feel that it's your fault that you should expect, that you took it at face value. And that's the hardest thing that I have to deal with, and thankfully not too often, but I can think of maybe four or five individuals in my career who have lied to my face. Mm -hmm. And that's extraordinarily hard to take. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And there's also this like level of disappointment Mm. in having faith in that person. Yes, Yes, and then you become skeptical and cynical about others, and that's not who you are, and you begin to dislike yourself for displaying (laughs) those characteristics, (laughs) and eventually you come through the other side of it, but it's extraordinarily hard. Yeah, it is. 
I can definitely understand that. I think I've rather than professionally, I've felt that on a more personal level. So seriously, yeah. Tell me, is it the same feelings? Is it the same? Oh my God, I'm asking you the questions. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you did say this was a conversation. You gave me permission, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Is it the same kind of hangover that you have of those feelings after that happens? Yeah, it's almost worse. Oh my God. Because when it's personal, you have a love for this person. Yes. And I think as far as a professional stance, I feel like there's a level of embarrassment. And I think that's the difference between the two. You know what I mean? That's so insightful. Yes. Yes. I think that's the difference between the two. But I think the personal one hits you harder. Mm, I get that. And thankfully, that's not happened too often in my life. But the business ones still sting. And I don't know, it must be a particular trait of mine. When I look back over the body of work that we've done, of course, there are high points of campaigns and client activity and working with colleagues and things, but those bits stand out as real learning opportunities. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I would say so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's make this a little lighter. What's the most rewarding thing about leadership? Oh my goodness, see people develop. Oh, yeah, I like that too. Oh, my goodness. I can give you a wonderful example of that. It just happened the other day. Unbeknown to me, the business turned 32 earlier this year. And I don't say that flippantly. Just it hadn't occurred to me. It wasn't a seminal year. It wasn't a number with a five or a zero in the back. Right. And a former colleague who is now a client joined in in that flurry of LinkedIn activity that surrounds these events and things. Mm -hmm. And our line was a fifth ring something about best experience of my working life and a place where great storytellers are born. And I thought, wow, oh my God, oh my God. (laughs) And she was a wonderful, wonderful talent and a wonderful human being that we'd had such an impact on her and her career has been nothing short of meteoric since Mm -hmm. that she had a powerful emotional connection with our business to this day. And then when I look through the scroll of those, there were many others that have passed through the doors here, either in their, as their careers have evolved and over the years had similar things to say. And that is the wonderful, so wonderful. That's that's great. That's great. I was blown away, blown away. (laughs) They're like, surprise, we love you. (laughs) Yeah. But then, of course, Paige, being the obsessive I am, I had to go through all of the comments and reply to them all. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not that obsessive. I just kind of go through and click like, like, like. Somebody needs to show me how to do that. I'm still in the long form copy category. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's super simple. I'll share with you afterwards. (laughs) There's a learning opportunity, a second learning opportunity for me today. So yeah, definitely people development. I mean, hey, clients, great. Campaigns, great. Awards, great. All of these things are great. But as a human capital business, it's the people that matter, Paige. Right. Yeah. I totally understand because this is what I do for a living is I talk to people. Yeah. I also train all of our hosts. So to watch someone so nervous start to really get into the conversation and know how to control the conversation, but still get a chance to tell other people's stories. It's just, it's so cool. It's really awesome. It's obvious that you're pretty good at it because you've dragged some deep, deep (laughs) reactions to me already. I'm I'm a little worried of where this is going next page. (laughs) Oh, well, you just wait. (laughs) So if you have a piece of advice to give our audience, what would that be? 
Wow. First of all, you've got to feel comfortable in the job that you're doing. And if you don't, you've got to do something about that because you're going to be at work for a long time. Yeah. And then when you're in there, I'm building on this a promise page. I believe that the most interesting people are the most curious people. Uh-huh. And I think when you lose your curiosity for life and for people and everything around you, you're slowly beginning to die. So I would encourage people to have an open mind, a curious mind, an eclectic mind. There'll be something interesting around every corner if you only care to look at it. And that sounds like a childlike mentality, but I genuinely think I've got something of a childlike mentality. You've dragged out of me more reflective moments in our conversation I'm always the chap who's looking to what's happening tomorrow, what's happening next week. What change can we make happen? What are we going to do next? Yeah. And to that end, if you can have that curious mind and always be learning, then you can start to envisage where you want to go. And then crucially, take the first step towards it. Because there's so many people out there, an incredible guy that had the privilege of being the company of, he talked about mountain men and valley people. And forgive the gender bias there, but he talked about mountain people and valley people. And the valley people, their conversation was, if, but, I was going to do that, but so-and-so did it first. Yeah, I always thought that was a good idea, but I was too busy with other things at the time. And the mountain people imagine and go for it. And Mm -hmm. I thought, God, what an easy way to keep yourself forward-looking. There must still be another summit to go to. And how are we going to get there? And if you ever find yourself categorizing your speech with buts and ifs and could have, I was going to, past tense, then your ambition is stopped. Yeah. Or you have depression. I mean, that's a possibility too. Whoa. (laughs) And you know what? God, that scares me. Oh, it's not fun. It scares me. Yeah. I've never had it. I can see its impact in others. And Mm -hmm. I feel completely incapable of really helping people that are in that state of mind because I don't understand it. Yeah. And again, I go back to that almost childlike mentality, but I see the impact it can have on people and it's so, 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 so devastating. And I wish I understood more. And there you go. There's curiosity for yourself. See, now you're bringing stuff out of me. (laughs) (gasps) Go on then. Well, no, it's hereditary for me. So I fight it constantly. It's just lack of, you know, serotonin, you know, chemicals in the body that should automatically be there and drugs could help it. Drugs change you. Uh huh. So I would prefer to just work through it. Wow. And there are days I don't want to get out of bed. Uh It happens a lot, especially during the winter. Uh huh. We'll never move to the northeast of Scotland, Paige, whatever you do. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that would help me. The courage that you have to recognize the symptomology and work your way through it is remarkable because Sadly, other people can't get out of that fixed mindset, can they? Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. And I could go a week without getting out of bed. But I get up and do my job. Remarkable. The one thing that I am working on right now, it's not ready to announce this yet, but it's getting really close. We're working very closely with the IEDC Mm -hmm. on the challenges of mental health in particularly the energy industry and particularly the offshore energy industry. Oh, yeah. And a very learned guy in one of the drilling companies uh, had stood up 
at one of these industry dinners and he talked about the progress that we'd made in automating much of the drill floor. He talked about the progress that had been made in safety. He talked about the progress that had been made in environmental mm-hmm. impact and the like, things that are legislated and inspected. He talked about the kind of medical interventions that are now available and medicals before you go offshore, but did they go far enough? But the one area that we hadn't touched as an industry is people's mental health. Yeah. I think a lot of people, especially during COVID and and the last downturn, it really messed with people's heads. And Yes, exactly that, Paige. He talked about insecurity of employment, the boom and bust of the energy industry. He talked about offshore accommodation and thinking we were doing all the right things of private cabins and internet had actually, in many cases, made people's mental health worse. Interesting. Because they no longer had to convene with colleagues. They could go back to their cabin and to Facebook or whatever else platform they might be on. He talked about, it used to be that when people came off a shift or off a rotation, people would go to the bar together. And of course, that doesn't happen as often as it used to. So that kind of, the offshore family doesn't exist as it once did. And the stuff that the industry has done to date has been pretty much virtuous signposting. Oh, look, we have a helpline. Look, look, it's on a poster over there. But not really engaging people one-on-one and ensuring that they're okay. Yeah. And that really hit hard, I think, during COVID. We were all isolated. Yes. I mean, hell, I gained like 40 pounds since July. Dropped 30 of it. That's me clapping my hands, Paige. Thank you. (laughs) But I have also learned exercise helps with a lot of these things. Yes. It helps you at least get a little bit through it. Yes. So I am learning about mental health, working with some very talented professionals, and we hope to produce an industry-wide charter that would show best practice in how we look after, particularly the oil field personnel and particularly the offshore oil field personnel at that. Yeah, that's so awesome. I'm so glad to see that that this is changing. We'll set you up with a compelling interview with the leader of this program, not me. <laughs> a compelling interview. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're silly. But yeah, no, I would love to have that conversation. I think it's something everyone struggles with. So in one way or another, whether you have it yourself or you know someone. Mm -hmm. So I will talk to the gentleman on Thursday and we'll set you two together. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. So what book influenced you the most? Well, obviously a book of five rings because I've tried to read its impenetrable copy in the Japanese translation so many times. But the simple translation is, and the business translation is easy to get your head around. Planning and energy and creativity, so ground and and fire, creativity, water, malleable, see what kind of results you're getting, change the tactic, change the message. So they have ground and or earth and fire, wind, exercise, do it at pace. And then that fifth book, just looking at it and just saying, am I using this playbook because it's comfortable? Am I using it because it's right? What does my gut say? What does my intuition say? So I can never go too long without dipping into the modern iterative or ancient iterative of the Book of Five Rings. But when I first got into this business, and I don't know, Paige, if you or your listeners and subscribers would be aware of a guy called David Ogilvy. Mm-hmm. He was the founder of a company called Ogilvy and Mather. And they were the madmen of their era on Madison Avenue in New York. And yes, he was a Scotsman, but that's not why I read his books. 
he learned his trade selling aga cookers in the Scottish borders, believe it or not. Mm. Turned his hand to the Ministry of Misinformation during the war, based in New York. And he moved into the advertising industry shortly after that. And he's written some seminal books on the advertising business. And that one that I refer to, Ogilvy and Advertising, is effectively a guidebook on how to run an agency. Very good. It's an amazing book. I reference it to people all the time. And I've probably bought more bloody copies of it than David Ogilvy <laughs> himself and given them away or given them away and then realized I don't have one myself. <laughs> I love it when people give me books. So Yeah, it's a great book. For anybody who wants a career in the advertising or marketing professions or has an ambition to start a business in this industry, it's a wonderful book to read and it stood the test of time. Awesome. So what's your most used business tool? Cliche as it sounds, active listening. Ooh, I like that. I don't find that to be cliche. I know what I know, and it isn't very much. And I know whoever I'm talking to knows a hell of a lot more <laughs> about their industry. And now I'm going to give away the greatest secret of my life. Some incredibly talented business people have paid me good money to sit in their boardrooms or, or sit in their executive suite and listen to them. It's been an education, and they've paid me. <laughs> it's like, ha ha, joke's on you. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it, Paige. You can't broadcast that bit, please. But that is true. Yeah. That is absolutely true. Hearing about you and your career and the twists and turns that it's taken and hearing about how you were a reluctant broadcaster at the start, but someone had that belief in you and now you're training other people. There's a rich, rich story in there and where you came from in the kind of hands-on end of the industry as well. It's an incredible story. And you've got much more curiosity to me than I have for myself. <laughs> I like hearing people's stories and how they've made it through because people have really gone through it. And then there's yeah. been people that have been just very lucky yeah, and just everything's been fine, but they still have a story to tell. So that's what's wonderful about what I do. And I'm interested in you because you have got this wonderful talent to ask in a very disarming way some deep questions. You have the ability to allow that pregnant pause that your guest or your fellow in the conversation then feels the need to fill. But too many people gap search. They look for a chance for them to talk. Yeah, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are a disarming inquisitor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're making me blush. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So who's your most respected competitor? Or is that applicable? Uh, no, of course it is. You know what? And they're not too far from you. I say to people, Paige, that I love this industry, but I hate the people working it. And that's an overreaction. But I love integrity. I love honesty. I love pragmatism. I guess I'm a doer Scott at heart. I don't do well with fluff and bluster and things. Mm. And there's a gentleman who runs an agency in Houston. His name is Ward Pennybaker. Ward graduated cum laude in psychology from Harvard, oh. which makes him a pretty bright guy. Yeah. And we worked with Ward when we first set up in Houston, or when I first set up in Houston. And there was never a conversation with him or an interaction with him. I didn't learn something because he had in spades what I don't. He understood psychology. Yeah. And I think, Paige, if I had a do-over 
accounting wouldn't see the light of day. <laughs> yeah. And if I were bright enough, if I were bright enough to do a degree in psychology, I think I would bring a lot more to the table then in the beginning. I've learned in hard yards since, but he is an incredibly talented man. Wow. Yeah. Psychology is incredibly interesting to me. Yeah. Especially yeah. since it's all theory and such. But yeah. I'm pretty confident his brother is still dean of the faculty at UT. Oh. And when I've had the privilege the same table as them, probably best I say nothing and just listen. Back to the active listening. <laughs> <laughs> so of all of this, what is your most important lesson learned? I rather think you said it earlier on, it's to trust your gut. Mm. It's that bit in the back of your brain, I think it's called the hypercampus, I may be entirely wrong, that has kept us alive for millennia. The thing that said there's a wobbly mammoth just outside the cave, don't go out right now or whatever. And I think women, generally speaking, please take this as the biggest compliment under the sun. I think men can overthink. I think women have an innate ability to think as well, if not better and clearer than their male counterpart because they can get colored by ego or status or whatever it might be. But I firmly believe in the many talented women that I've worked with and surround this business right now, that they've got an intuition that is much, much higher developed than any that men have worked with over the years. And you called it gut and you also qualified it with intuition. But I think that is something that I read a thing. Tell me if you've seen it. It's a brilliant piece. It's about overanalyzing the dead horse. No, I haven't. Have you seen it? It's a poster thing, Paige. And hmm. I'm pretty confident if you Googled it, that sometimes it's just a dead horse and therefore you need to replace it. You don't need a work group. You don't need a study group. You don't need a performance management program or matrix. It's just dead. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. So I think there's also that motherly component. Is that what it is? I think so. I mean, I have children, so that's how I feel about Would it. Would you agree with me that it seems to be much higher developed than women? Is that a generalism? Am I overgeneralizing? I'm see, you're overthinking it. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. That's brilliant. You are way too sharp. Way too sharp, Paige. <laughs> Thank you. You better watch you don't cut yourself this afternoon. <laughs> So why is your role now important to the future of our industry? I think an amassed experience is good. I think an amassed experience, and I like to think, having built a significant scale of business, and one would hope relatively successful in the eyes of others, business and successful beyond its balance sheet, that creating opportunities for young people is got to be one of the biggest thrills and challenges that we have in front of us. Having worked in the energy industry these last 30-odd years, and with clients in the energy industry these last 30-odd years, what we do next, not just in terms of intent, but also in message, I think is really important. I saw a study that was done by an incredible organization maybe last year, and it looked at the spectrum of opinion, that there's at one level the drill baby drill we are doing no harm, mm -hmm. uh, contingent. At the other end, there's people who are saying, switch it all off tomorrow and you know, we'll be a bigger, brighter, better future. Mm. And then there's that middle ground. There's people who are prepared to listen to rational uh, right. conversation and debate about how 
we wean ourselves off a carbon-based economy and how we do that and how we can use the investment power and the talent and ingenuity of people that have driven the industrialization of our world for these last hundred years or more, how we can harness their talent for a better future in renewable energies and other energy sources. And for me, a job as a communicator in the market here to talk to that middle ground, the people who are prepared to listen and engage them in a conversation about a just transition, recognizing that we're never going to change the minds of the people at one spectrum or the other. And if we can be part of that, and at the same time, move us towards a better planet for all of us, recognizing that not everything we've done over the last hundred and odd years has been particularly good, but also recognizing, and I'm really interested, Paige, you talk to a lot of people and you will have a much broader view than I. I think, generally speaking, industry is a force for good. And when I say that, there are very few companies who open the doors in the morning and think, what damage can I do to people into the planet today? Because governments will legislate against them. Customers will stop buying their product or service. And generally speaking, people want to build sustainable companies. And I think they do make good decisions based on sustainability and commerciality. And it's so wrong to demonize industry at every turn. Yeah. And that's something we've been fighting for a very long time. But I think it is the way it is because nobody's ever defended the oil and gas industry. They just kind of took it. Yes. Yes. Take it on the chin. Yeah. Mia culpa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's starting to change because of social media. Yes. And of course, it changed a year ago today when there were some hostilities in parts of Europe. And that changed the nature of supply. And suddenly people take a different view of the sovereignty, integrity of their natural resources. But I do believe that the big players there and the inventive supply companies are on a journey. And we need to tell people it's their investment dollars and pounds that are driving the change that we're all looking for. Right. Because I think people just don't understand that, especially when they're posting on social media, you know, oil, big oil is bad, blah, blah, blah. Well, how did you just type? (laughs) What did you just use to post this? Because I'm pretty sure it's made out of hydrocarbons. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. (laughs) It's like we can all exist. It can all exist at the same time. Like we can do renewables. I want to help people understand that our transition from fossil fuels is likely to be decades, not days. Oh, it's definitely not in our, it's going to be a slow transition, but I don't think we'll ever fully transition out. I'm not a master of that modeling, but I can't imagine that. I mean, crikey, back here in the UK, we've switched on coal-fired power stations, so we've taken a step back. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I heard about that. And I'm just like, well, you know, if our industry does anything, it provides prosperity. Yes. Yes. And I'm very proud of that. And better lifestyles for the majority, I would suggest. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so do you have a favorite podcast? Oh, I do. And I have to say this because it's my friends. (laughs) You're obligated. Yeah. My dearest friend is a gentleman by the name of Claude Harmon. And Claude is an extraordinarily talented golf coach. He teaches people such as Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson and others. Claude's father, Butch Harmon, would be regarded as perhaps the best golf teacher of his generation. And Claude has an offbeat golf podcast called Off Course. That's clever. 
Yeah, and he does all these work off the course. He does the work on the practice ground and he's lifting the lid and giving some insights on what happens off the course because clearly television can do a fabulous job of showing the shots that the talented golfers play when they're on the course. Right. And some of his guests are hilariously funny. They may be actors who are golf nuts or other people who are around the game. And it's very, very interesting. Very interesting. So I have to give a plug to my buddy. Yeah, you need to introduce us because my golf game is garbage. Well, it is garbage. He lived in Houston for the longest time, as did his dad. Oh, but he's now in West Palm Beach. But next time that he and I bump into each other in Houston, you'll definitely be along for the ride. Awesome. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed this conversation so much, Ian. Oh, me too, Paige. I didn't know what to expect, but you have <laughs> been a wonderful host. and a, Thank you. A very gentle inquisitor, as I said earlier. <laughs> thank you so much. So if people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Fifth Ring, how can they go about doing so? The website is www.fifthring.com. Uh, I can be reached and I'm open to be reached at ian at fifthring.com. That's simple. That's pretty straightforward. My father, I'm sure, thought he had to pay to register my name by the letter. So I've got six, Ian or that's it, done and dusted. <laughs> he was a mean go. Scottish guy. No, I'm only joking. He wasn't. He wasn't. <laughs> but yeah, and if people want to talk about marketing, marketing communications, I'm always up for a conversation, especially if it's as entertaining as this. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Well, that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com. <laughs>